It's a strange question, really. Uh, you read in that reading from John 3 that, that Jesus said something that, that made a certain man, a man called Nicodemus, quite puzzled. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus quite rightly says, well, how on earth can you be born a second time? How, how does that work? Naturally, you, you can't, can you? You can't enter the mother's womb a second time and be born. That's what Nicodemus says there in, in verse 4. Now, I'd like to think and take this as uh, our title for this afternoon to see what it was that Jesus was talking about, this new beginning. And the idea of a new beginning is something that, that we have in all sorts of places. Every week we have the beginning of a new week. Every month we have the beginning of a new month. Um, and let me be either the latest or the earliest to wish you a happy new year. Um, because, again, we work in these cycles, don't we? We are used to having uh, these times when things can start again when another cycle starts. Uh, years seem to be accelerating at the moment, which is a bit unnerving, um, but it's, it's regular. And, and quite regularly, uh, more so over recent years, I think as uh, American influence has grown in the UK, New Year's resolutions seem to uh, be a thing. Uh, and Maybe at the beginning of a year, there's something that we want to change, something we want to do more of, less of, and maybe we'll make a resolution to do so. Um, do you know um, how many, statistically, New Year's resolutions are kept? Any Apart from the ones on the back row who heard this talk before. <laughs> One in 20. One in 20. We have an optimist on the platform. <laughs> um, it's actually only 8%. 92% of all New Year's resolutions fail, they're not kept. By the time the next year comes around, they're often forgotten, never mind kept. Maybe it lasts a month, maybe it lasts a couple of months. But we're not very good at it. Not very good at breaking the cycle, at starting something and carrying on with it if it's different to what we've been doing before. And that's part of what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. It's about a fresh start and the, the Bible has a lot to say about it. So we're going to go in, in three main sections. Um, this evening we're going to be looking at maybe one of the reasons why people have this thought of wouldn't it be nice to start again? Uh, you do hear people from time to time going, well, I've, I've got myself in a mess, I want to start this all over again. Whether it's a task or whether it's much more serious than that. Whether it's their life. So we'll think a little bit about that. Then we'll move on to the Bible to see what it has to say about new beginnings. Because it's actually a theme that goes all the way through the Bible, this idea of new beginnings. Um, and then look really in depth at what Jesus was trying to teach Nicodemus by what he said. 
Now you may be aware of this, you may not, but depression is the predominant mental health problem worldwide. Almost 20% of the UK population, that's in 2014, showed symptoms of anxiety or depression. And it's often when in that kind of state of mind that we have these thoughts of, well, wouldn't it just be simpler to start it again, to do something else? And there's all sorts of things that can lead us to this state. The, the world has become very complicated. We've got many demands on our time. Um, maybe we have uh, more demands than we have money to meet those demands and we get into debt. Maybe it's loneliness. All of these things can, can lead, and, and many more, to this feeling that there's no way out. That we need to do something to start again. That we need a fresh start. So it does lead some to think about a new beginning. Doing something different. Making a drastic change in our lives. Now what does the Bible say about this idea? Now, you might not be surprised that we turn to the first verse in the Bible to begin with. Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning. So not a beginning, but the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. So the Bible talks to us about God creating this wonderful complex world out of nothing, out of, of something that is described as void. Now what you may not be aware of is that in the New Testament, when we come to the New Testament, uh, there, are f there are four Gospels in the New Testament, and each one of those four Gospels is a record of Jesus' life from a different perspective. And each one of those Gospels starts with very similar words to Genesis 1. Let's look. So, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, says in my version. Um, or, uh, as it is translated in others, the book of the beginning of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's talking about the beginning of something new. And this something new is Jesus, this new beginning. Go over into Mark, which is the next gospel. See what Mark says. He says in the first verse, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. So again, he talks about it being a beginning. I'm not sure why I put them the wrong way around, um, John and then Luke, but we'll, we'll carry on in order uh, and go to Luke. I do need to change that. Um, Luke 1, and this time it's actually in the second verse. We'll read the first verse. For as much as 
Many have taken in hand to set forth a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they were delivered them to us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. This is almost a preface that, that Luke writes, saying that these things were delivered from the beginning. And, and again, it means the beginning of the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, this new beginning. And then over into John. And these are often misunderstood words that John speaks. This is one of the ideas he's getting across. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, and he really identifies with Genesis 1, doesn't he? And, and he carries that on throughout um, this first chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, and he's making that point again, that we have this new beginning, that Jesus was a new creation, a new beginning. But this builds up on a number of other new beginnings that we read about in the Old Testament. Um, in the Old Testament there was a man called Abram and Abram was told by God to leave the city that he lived in and to go out into the desert to go to a place that God would show him. The Lord said to Abram, this is in Genesis 12, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you, make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. And we have a record in, in Genesis of Abraham following those words of God, leaving the city of the Chaldees that he lived, and going into this new land for a new start. A complete new start. And he required great faith to do that because he lived a comfortable life where he was and God had told him to leave all that behind and go to somewhere that I will show you that will be better. You will end up being a blessing to the whole earth if you follow my words. And that's what Abram did. There's a view here of that land um, you can't really see an awful lot on the screen there but that's actually the view from Mount Nebo which is where Moses died when uh, he was promised that he would see the land and this was to be the new start a little bit later on in the history of the nation of Israel where Israel had come out of Egypt and were coming again into that same land that promised land and they were promised a new start. They were promised that if they followed God and had faith in God, he would bless them in this land. So it's, a, it's a, an idea that we can see quite regularly. Here's one that's an idea for the future, and we'll come back to this in the end. In Zechariah, he says, I've returned, thus says the Lord, I've returned to Zion, will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain, thus says the Lord of hosts. All men and old women shall sit again in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. 
you know, these words, we believe, are, are still future. They're, they're still to come. Uh, and there are many places in the Bible that talk of the future of this city, of Jerusalem. And say that it will be, again, created new. That there will be a new Jerusalem. And we'll, we'll look at that. Because Jerusalem today is, uh, it doesn't live up to its name, really. Jerusalem means city of peace. And it's anything but at the moment. If anything, it's the centre of more conflicts than any other city in the world. But God has promised a new beginning for Jerusalem. And we'll look at that again in a moment. Other things we have in the Old Testament. We have the law, the law of Moses, that was given to him. Um, and there are many commands. There's a structure of worship that the Israelites had to keep. But Jesus, in the New Testament, begins again. He, he gives a new law. He gives new commandments, building on what was in the Old Testament. But it's different. It's a new start. It's a new beginning. And it's really with that background that we come now to think about what Jesus said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. So we remember from the reading that we had that Nicodemus, we're introduced in verse 1, was already an important man. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were the people who knew that law that we mentioned a minute ago, that, that helped the nation to practice that law. But Nicodemus could see something different in Jesus, in the things that Jesus was saying. And that's when he comes to him in verse 2. Um, he comes to him by night because he was afraid of what the other people would say, him being a teacher, him being a practice, uh, a Pharisee came to him by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with you. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that, that led to that discussion. But what Jesus explains to Nicodemus is that we're not talking about a natural second birth. He introduces this idea of a natural and a spiritual existence. And that's really what he goes on to talk about for the rest of the discussion with Nicodemus. Um, he says, uh, verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he makes this distinction between that which is born naturally and that which is born spiritually. A spiritual change, a spiritual new beginning. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that if he wants to be in this kingdom of God... He needs to have a new spiritual birth. And he says something very specific there, doesn't he? In verse 5, except a man be born of water and of the spirit. Now it's not our subject this afternoon, but 
you, you'll hear from this room talk of baptism. And, and Jesus instituted this as a symbol to show this new beginning. So of water and of the spirit. And he talks of this uh, baptism in, in many other passages where a believer is fully immersed, symbolising the death of their old self, and then they rise up again, symbolising rising to a new life spiritually. And that's really what Jesus encourages Nicodemus to do. He says, if you want to be in the kingdom of God, you have to have this new spiritual birth, which is starts with water, starts with this baptism. He says in verse 12, this is Jesus, I've told you earthly things and you believe not. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And again, he's making this distinction between things of the natural order and spiritual things. And it's in that context that these well-known words are said in verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent not his world, his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus says that this new spiritual life can lead to an everlasting natural life. And again, that's something that the Bible talks a lot about. That if someone believes, is baptised and tries to live a life according <coughs> to the principles that are laid out by Jesus, then the reward is this everlasting life. That's quite something, isn't it? And the idea of this natural and spiritual um, life, if you like, is picked up um, here in Colossians. Um, we'll just turn over there to Colossians chapter 3. So in Colossians chapter 3, uh, the writer here starts off and says, If you are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. So it's really building on those words that we just read, Jesus saying to Nicodemus. If you have this new life, this new spiritual life, then start thinking about those spiritual things. Set your affection, set your mind, verse 2, on the things above, not the things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake. The wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So he, he comes with a, a warning and a promise. And the promise is that if we try and um, focus on the things of God, those heavenly things, those spiritual things, then there is a reward when Christ, 
appears, it said in verse 4. And that's what we're told to set our minds upon. And that if we don't, then we are likely to be cast aside by God at that time when Jesus comes back. The book of Acts tells us more about that time. So Acts chapter 1. This is after Jesus had died and he'd risen again. He was with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And he was talking to them. And then in verse 9. When he, that's Jesus, had spoken these things. As they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And this is when we, we see more about this next new start. There's a series of them, isn't there? So we have this spiritual new start, this baptism, which is a new start. And now we see that there is a promise that Jesus will come back to the earth and that there will be a new start then as well. And Jesus talks about this. Uh, go back into the book of Luke. Um, Luke chapter 21. We considered part of this this morning. And Luke chapter 21 is a prophecy that, that Jesus gave those that were with him in Jerusalem. They'd been looking in verse 5. Of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. And, and in Jerusalem, at that time, the temple was an incredible building. Built to a scale that we can hardly imagine. And many people, when they arrived in Jerusalem, maybe for the first time, they would stand and stare at this incredible building. Incredible structure. And that's what was happening. Some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned, so how beautiful it was. And Jesus said, verse 6, As for these things which you behold, the day shall come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. What a thing to say. So Jesus was saying, this incredible building that you see is going to be destroyed. And it's a prophecy. So Jesus was talking around AD 30 when, when he said these things. And he knew that a time would come not long after. He was between AD 67 and AD 70 in Jerusalem. And then it went on to about AD 120 for the rest of the nation. When they would have a terrible time like they'd never had before. And he goes on to tell the people what the signs will be of these things happening. And he's asked in verse 7 by his disciples, Master, when shall these things be? What sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? He said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. The time draweth nigh, go not therefore after them. When ye hear of wars and commotion, don't be terrified, for these things must first come to pass. The end is not immediately. 
Then nation shall rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, great earthquakes in diverse places, famines, pestilences, fearful sights, great signs from heaven. So he goes on to talk about lots of things that would happen in the future. There would be signs. There would be signs both of the temple being destroyed, but, but much more than that. Now I mentioned um, it was about AD 70 when the temple was destroyed. And, and just to give a little bit of history there, in AD 67... The Jews were proving a real problem for uh, the Roman rulers, and they had been for quite some time. And a campaign was waged against the Jews, which culminated in a Roman army being completely encamped around the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus talked about this in verse 20. It says, when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, know that her desolation thereof is nigh. Most of Jerusalem is on a hill. And there's valleys round the city. And that's what the Roman army did. They encamped in the valley, completely circling the city. But then Jesus says something rather strange. Verse 21. Let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains... Let them which are in the midst of her, that's Jerusalem, depart out. Let, non, non, let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto. Now how do you leave a city when it's surrounded by an army? It doesn't actually make sense what Jesus is saying. You'll see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, know that its desolation is coming, and then flee out of it. But, well you can't. But that's when you look at the history books, and it's quite amazing. Because in AD 67, the, the Roman army was encamped around Jerusalem. And for a reason that's actually unknown, but there could be a couple, um, they, they'd actually struck siege against Jerusalem. They'd started to besiege the city, but they withdrew. There's two main schools of thought. One is that there was a new emperor that had been... Um, appointed in Rome and the, uh, the general had to go back to Rome for that event. Uh, another, which I find quite interesting, is that the Judeans, the, um, Israel is further north, had broken the supply line of the Roman army. And they were very good at skirmishing, coming out from the hills, um, attacking and then disappearing again. And there is a school of thought that says that they actually disrupted the uh, supply lines which needed to be constant. So there were constant food and, and also it was going down to those who were besieging the city. Um, and that was why the army had to retreat, because they'd run out of supplies. Uh, and there is some archaeological evidence to, to show that this could have been the case. But whatever it was... That army left. And there is also evidence of people, when that happened, people who had heard the words of Jesus, people who were, who were believers of Jesus, fleeing Jerusalem. Um, Josephus actually records uh, people leaving. And there's another couple of historians do as well, who were Christians. Then three years later, 
the army returned and annihilated the city in one of the most brutal campaigns the Roman Empire ever carried out. And those words of Jesus came true um, when he talked about the stones being thrown down one upon another. Uh, and you might think stones. No, these were stones. They were huge. They weighed 50 to 100 tons. That's not a stone that you throw. It required quite a lot of engineering for the Romans to literally topple the stones one by one from the temple into the valley. And they're there now. They can be seen now where they fell after that Roman campaign against Israel. So these things happened not long after the time of Jesus. And he was talking about this. In verse 24 then the people will fall by the edge of the sword, and, and it was a terrible campaign. There were thousands and thousands, tens of thousands killed. They shall be led away captive to all nations, and that's again what happened in the Roman campaign in um, Judea. Um, they systematically went throughout the land and took the people away captive they emptied the whole nation of people of jews and they were spread throughout the world as slaves jerusalem should be trodden down to the gentiles that's the non-jews until the times of the gentiles be fulfilled and this is where it gets very interesting for us because these things happened 2000 years ago and you might say there is evidence to say otherwise but you might say that up to here this was written after the fact, and that's why it's so accurate. But you can't say this about the next bit. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus predicted that the Jews would be spread throughout the world, but that they would come back to Israel and to Jerusalem. says, they shall fall by the edge of the sword, they shall be led away captive into all nations, Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So he says there's, there's a time when non-Jews will rule in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, but that time will come to an end. It will be fulfilled. And that happened first in 1948, when the Jews returned to the land. Then in 1967, the Jews took control of Jerusalem again. So this prophecy, made 2,000 years ago, has come to pass in exact detail in the last 50 to 60 years. And there shall be signs in the sun, the moon and the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, for looking after the things which are coming on the earth. I find these words fascinating because you look at the world around us today and much of the reason that we didn't really we come upon before or one of the reasons that, that people are finding things difficult today is that they're worried about the future. Not just the future for themselves but the very future of the planet or, or the future of a nation the future of a way of life. There hasn't ever really been a time like the time that we're living in now. 
where it looks like the whole natural balance of the world is being tipped. When we should be worried about what's happening in the world. But Jesus says, when you see those things, verse 27, then shall you see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. So these words that Jesus says here, that have all been fulfilled up until verse the end of verse 26, that's happening now, verse 26. The next thing is Jesus coming in a cloud, as we'd read in Acts, to set up the final new beginning, the kingdom of God. Now this is one of a number of prophecies in the Bible that, that we can piece together and see a very accurate picture of the world that we live in today. And we know that the next step is, just as Jesus says here, him returning. There'd be a time of great trouble and then he would return. And I'd just like to leave you with an idea of what the Bible tells us this new beginning will be all about. And this is the new beginning that's on offer to all of us. These words from Revelation chapter 21. And this is a vision that John had, and it's a spiritual vision along the lines of what Jesus was talking about when he said thinking of spiritual things. And he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And this is the new beginning that God has on offer for us. Of a time without death, without mourning, without crying, without pain. All those things being done away with. And this new beginning will be one that will have Jesus as ruler in Jerusalem. Ruling over the world justly. And that's the new beginning, that's the new life that the Bible has on offer to each one of us. All we need to do is to listen and to respond.